Together we can change the story. We can change the story of those who are living in darkness by sharing with them the light of God's love through faith in Jesus Christ. People who are drowning in the sea of their own despair, we can change their story by introducing them to the one who is the living hope, Jesus Christ, who has risen from the dead. We have a chance, we have an opportunity, and we have a responsibility to help those who are overwhelmed and and, uh, living without hope because they're living without God in this world. We have a responsibility to help change their story by introducing them to Jesus. And that is our calling. As we looked at last week, one of the passages was 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 and 15, where the apostle Paul writes, he says, for the love of Christ compels us. For we judge thusly that if one died for all, then all have died. And Jesus died for all. So that those who live, you and me, so that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. We are called as followers of Jesus and as First Norfolk, we are called to live for him who died for us and rose again. And that means that we carry his mission and his good news of life-changing love uh, through his death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. We enter into those places and into those difficult uh, uh Uh, uh, locations and and even into the uh, challenging conversations to help people who are far from God find life in Jesus Christ. Indeed, First Norfolk has been planted here as a city uh, called by God to serve Hampton Roads so that we might change the world. And today we get a glimpse of what God is doing through our church, not only as we uh, look forward to uh, the vision that he's given us of having 10 locations in the next decade, starting with Volvo Parkway in the next few weeks, uh, uh, not just planting 20 churches over the next decade, but seeing 1,500 small groups in the next decade uh, with thousands of, of missionary followers of Christ equipped and unleashed Uh, by this church to help change the world. Today, we get a glimpse of that through our partnerships with church planters. And uh, I'm going to invite our church plant partners to come up here. We have a few of them with us today. Uh, And as they come up, let's welcome them. First Norfolk, let's welcome them. Um, Let me introduce them to you. um, And uh, let me start with the least of these, Kurt Breland. Kurt Breland is not a church planter. He is our minister of missions, and I want you to know he is a hero to me. He is a man who lives the gospel, and he shares the good news of Jesus Christ with whomever he can, everywhere he can. He leads our church in mission, and he leads by example, by going on mission and sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. He is a friend. He is a brother. He is a co-laborer in Christ, and he is a partner in the gospel, and I thank God for Kurt Breland. Thank you, brother. Uh, We also have with us today people uh, from our church plant partners. Uh, Here we have, uh, they switched seats on me, but here is uh, Nate Bedoya. And Nate is a pastor of Church of the Valley uh, in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. His wife, Adele, we call her Dindin. Uh, Adele is here. And uh, we're so thankful for them. Uh, church plant partners. This is Jason Lamb, and Jason is the pastor of uh, 
of Rising Church in Northern Virginia, Leesburg, Virginia, and we've been partnering with him for several years, and thank God for him. This is, yes, yes, yes. This is Charles Shannon. By the way, I've gotten more and more excited as the day has gone on. Y'all better watch out. This is Charles Shannon, and Charles is the pastor of the Mission Church here in uh, Norfolk, Virginia, and, and we're excited about what God is doing through Charles and through the Mission Church. And uh, this is uh, Josias Altador Laporte. Uh, and if you are a soccer fan, Altador is a good, good name. Isn't that right? Y'all like that? Uh, uh, yep. Okay. All right. Whoop, whoop. We don't have a lot of soccer fans here. Uh, one's and up, one's and up. Josias is, uh, Josias is the uh, 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 a pastor at La Chapelle, uh, a church plant that we partnered with several years ago. And uh, La Chapelle is, is a church planting, multiplying church that uh, uh, they uh, began with uh, La Chapelle. David Potier is the lead pastor. Uh, they began with La Chapelle at Rosemont. And then uh, 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 I guess 18 months or 24 months after that, they started a new location, La Chapelle Mile End. Uh, and uh, uh, David Merck is the location pastor uh, at Mile End. And then this past fall, they launched uh, La Chapelle Ahuntsic. Uh, and uh, Jackson Mtumba is. Is that good? Uh, Jackson is the location pastor at Ahuntsic. And uh, they launched in the fall with 600 people uh, at their launch. Isn't that awesome? Well. Josias is the next one in the pipeline, and uh, he's going to tell you about uh, where their next location is, and we are partners with them in all of this. But we're excited about what God has done and the opportunities that he gives us to partner with these church planters and others in South Dakota and Spain and, and, uh, and Alaska uh, and other places around the world. We're excited for those partnerships, but I wanted you to hear, and Kurt and I wanted you to hear from these men and uh, get a glimpse of what God is doing through First Norfolk and what he can do as we uh, move even more extravagantly and more generously to support the work of God around the world. So I'm going to begin with Josias, who was last uh, in the last service. Josias, tell us about uh, uh, La Chapelle, a little bit about your story, and tell us about that new location, location number four, in that location number four, uh, for La Chapelle. Thank you. <laughs> and say something in French for us. Yes. Um, Jésus est Seigneur. Jesus is Lord. Amen. You, you can say that? Yes. Amen. <laughs> Papillon magnifique. Papillon magnifique. <laughs> Beautiful butterfly. <laughs> it, That's all better. I got. Every That's time all you say I got. It, yeah. it, it gets better. That's all I got. Um, yeah, so um, I'm uh, 30 years old, about to, to plant maybe in the next two years um, uh, a church with La Chapelle and Oshlaga Maisonneuve, which is one of the poorest country, uh, I was going to say country, poorest neighborhood of Montreal. Uh, there's a lot of uh, gangs, and, you know, homeless people, sex trafficking. It's a really, really hard place. Every uh, pastor I speak to, you know, they, they're telling me, are you sure? Are you convinced uh, to go there? So we're praying about that, exploring that. But part of my journey um, is um, I, I gave my life at 20 years old uh, to Christ. Um, I was a Catholic. That's my background. I go to church. 
Uh, I did everything, you know, good Catholic. I was an altar boy. I didn't say that in the first wow. two. I was an altar boy, so yeah, I was That's devoted. That's a big deal, Devoted. <laughs> I sang at church once. Really? Ten years old. I don't know where the <laughs> voice went, but anyways. Uh, <laughs> So, yeah, I gave my life to Christ, and that's the um, spiritual background as well in Montreal. You know, here it's kind of like 80% maybe Baptist, but in Montreal it's Catholic. So they've been um, uh, abused by the church. They have a really bad relationship with church. So you can't say the word religion or Jesus to your neighbor. It's not like here. It's, I, I hear about the missions, you know, going door to door. You can't do that in Montreal. You'll be shut down really quickly. So that's kind of the area where... Um, I'm in that we're, we're going to plant. So, um, yeah, and it's, and it's a city with 0.5% that claims to be a Christian. So uh, it's a really tough, tough place. But, uh, I mean, God did a powerful work in my life. I think he can do a powerful work Amen. in uh, people's lives. Awesome, brother. And uh, let's, uh, this is Charles Shannon. And, Charles, uh, we uh, uh, got to partner with Mission Church uh, for Good Friday service. They baptized uh, some folks that are at Good Friday service here, and then uh, Charles got to be, or we got to have Charles and some of the Mission Church with us at the TED Costa Convocation Center Easter uh, worship gathering, and uh, we're just thrilled to uh, have him and to partner with him. So, Charles, tell us what's happening with Mission Church and how we can be in prayer and uh, how awesome, awesome, awesome things are going. Very good. Um, well. I just want to first say I'm grateful, I'm thankful exceedingly for the partnership of First Norfolk with the Mission Church being planted here in Norfolk, Virginia. Uh, as uh, Pastor Eric shared, uh, we came together and collaborated on a, a Good Friday baptismal service. We were able to celebrate Easter Sunday with you at the TED. I was able to be a part of a Malawi team uh, that Kurt put together and sent us out so that I could be an example early on in the life of our plant for international missions. Uh, we want that in the DNA and culture early on. Um, our church plant met quietly and organically throughout the summer. And then September 17th, we had our, public, our first public worship uh, launch service. And now it's time to do the hard work. The launch is behind us. And I, I mess with Kurt, and I, I tell him that he embodies what it means to have the joy of the Lord. And, and so that's the reason we're planting this church in Norfolk, Virginia, is we want people to experience the joy of right. the Lord, to experience in, and enjoy the gospel in community, but not just internally looking in community, but on mission to their neighbors. And so we know we have a, a great, diverse, transient uh, gospel-ready uh, people here in Norfolk, Virginia, and we just want to see them in a healthy gospel church. And First Norfolk helps us in that endeavor, Amen. and we're grateful. Amen. And some of y'all may feel a call to join Charles and Mission Church on Sundays uh, and uh, be a part of that. You know, one of the great things about, about having a church like ours is that in a few weeks, we're going to be sending people off to Volvo Parkway. Um, and it's going to be an awesome thing as we go on mission there. But some of us uh, need to be on mission uh, with the mission church. You know, bodies, uh, people who love Jesus in a place, uh, excited about Jesus, being in that uh, family of faith and partnering with them, committing time and resources to them, that can make all the difference for a church plant. And so, Charles, you all meet Sundays, but tell us a little bit more about that. 
so uh, to 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 that point, if you have a passion for making disciples Amen. in the city, if you're passionate about mercy, if you're passionate about reconciliation, if you're passionate about seeing a new gospel, being a part of something new, we would love, uh, we need you. We, we desire your help to come and labor with us, even if it's just for a season. Th th that may not, the Mission Church may not be the church that uh, you have your funeral at, but if you're with us for a season, <laughs> and uh, I, will, I will preach a funeral if, as necessary, but... Even if it's for a season, you're saying, I want to be a part of a new gospel work sprouting up in the city, um, then, then we welcome. We welcome you. We meet in the urban core, so more toward the downtown area, and just praying for a long-term, well-functional, defined space. But in the meantime, we are gathering and doing what's taking place here, reading, singing, praying, hearing, preaching from God's word, and exhorting the people to be on mission. Amen. And if you need more information, you can call our missions office. And we would love to connect you with uh, Mission Church and Charles Shannon. Uh, and again, uh, you don't know what 10 people can do to help shape uh, the direction of the Mission Church. And Jesus, Jesus had 12 disciples. Jesus had 12, <laughs> but I was counting one as really not that good. So I was just, and then, 11, and then one 11. to grow on, you know. So there we go. How was that? All right, so 12. 14, 20, I don't know, uh, whatever it takes. But uh, what does God have for you to do? All right, uh, Jason uh, Lamb in Northern Virginia. Jason, I'm not even going to try to ask you a question. Just tell us whatever you want to, uh, want to say to us about Leesburg, Virginia, Rising Church, and how we can be a support and a strength to you, my friend. Thank you. Yes. Say softball. to the Redskins. Okay. <laughs> you said I could say whatever I wanted. <laughs> Dallas Cowboys will beat the Washington Redskins today. I'm getting more support for that than what I expected. That's pretty good. That's called discipleship. Uh, that's what that is. That's... Uh, again, my name is Jason Lamb. I've been married uh, to my wife, Neva, for 17 and a half years. We have three boys. Christian, Braden, and Micah. They are 16, 8, and 4. Uh, church planning has been a journey for our entire family. Uh, my wife is our worship leader. Our son Christian is part of our worship team. Uh, some of my favorite pictures of when we were doing setup and teardown as a church plant are my now 8 and 4-year-old carrying in what they could carry just to be a part. Um, they're confused now. We've been able to move into 24-7 space, and so they, they are confused and don't like that they don't get to set up and tear down. Um, they are the only two that feel that way. Um, we're grateful for that. Uh, we've been back in Northern Virginia for three years. Um, first Baptist Norfolk, you were the first church uh, that partnered with us as we returned to that area. And so I am eternally grateful um, for your giving to the cooperative program, to, to Vision Virginia, uh, to other offerings that fuel church planning here in Virginia and North America and around the world. Uh, but have been very grateful for the mission teams that you have sent up uh, to do VBSs with us. Um, our church, our desire uh, is to reach the lost in Leesburg and Loudoun County. Um, about 5% of our population is evangelical Christian, and it is absolutely the, the, the hardest soil that I have ever labored in 
in ministry. Um, a lot of people are very resistant and apathetic to the gospel. 60% of our population is atheist and agnostic. They just don't want anything to do with us. Um, and so uh, it, it is a struggle. Uh, the struggle is real, uh, but this is what God called us to do. And so as long as he wills, we will faithfully and obediently serve him uh, in Leesburg and Loudoun County so that even one uh, might have the opportunity Amen. to hear the gospel. And so to, to just briefly share a, a win and a celebration, uh, we've had a family in our neighborhood that we've built relationship with over the last couple years. They just started coming to our church around Easter. Uh, my wife and I have had the opportunity to disciple the husband and wife. Um, they are a blended family. They each had three, three children uh, and came into that marriage together. Um, and in the last two months, I've had the opportunity to baptize four of their six kids. And so continue to thank you. Pray for their family, pray for our church plant, and that at every opportunity, um, we might see the gospel completely and radically transform the life of another family in Leesburg. Amen. Thank you. And uh, this is Nate Bedoya, and time in Edmonton is 940. That's right. He's been up a lot longer than that. I guess it started around 4 o'clock his real time, 6 o'clock our real time, but uh, Edmonton's a long way away. Uh, but they're very excited about the warmth that they're experiencing in Virginia, and flowers are, and things are still green in Virginia. Uh, I was in Edmonton two weeks ago, yeah, about, about two weeks ago, and it was already getting cold. It was threatening, uh, threatening snow a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I wore my toque, uh, which is uh, uh, a bonnet, a bonnet uh, uh, but it's my toque. I wore a toque. Because, you know, i got that bald spot uh, that i got to take care of. Uh, uh, but, uh, Nate, tell us about uh, Church of the Valley. Tell us about uh, the ministry there in Edmonton and uh, how we can be in, in prayer and support for you. Yeah, thanks, Eric. And, again, thank you, Kurt, for everything you guys have done to support us in Edmonton. Thank you, church, for your generosity. Uh, I don't know you all, uh, but it feels like we're home. I don't know if you guys feel the same way. And uh, people love to hug here, which is different, and it's even making us even more warmer. There, there's another hug. In Canada, we're mostly just hugging ourselves. Uh, but uh, as Pastor Eric said, you know, we, we, uh, we flew a long way to come here, and we we are just so grateful to be here. In fact, uh, it took us how many, three flights to get here? I mean, it's like flying to the Philippines and back, but uh, <laughs> we made it here, and we are not, we are not, we don't regret being here at all. In fact, this is our third service, and like after every service, you know, there's a little bit of an altar call. I want to get up and give my heart to Christ again. Amen. And not only that, but plant a church. So I'm inspired <laughs> and encouraged by being here. Um, but with that being said, uh, my wife and I, uh, we planted church in the valley about two years ago. We have three kids, Karis, 14 years old, Malachi, who's 12, and our youngest, Jasmine, who is nine, and uh, we are a church plant family, and it's just, it's, it's fun. It's fun, it's exciting, and we love to, to see our children get in it and uh, get involved in the church plant. But you can say that church planting has kind of been in our DNA. Both my wife and I grew up in church planting families, and so we've seen the good, the bad, and the ugly of church planting, but all that to say, we've also seen the goodness of God, the grace, is, the grace of God and all that. And as John Piper likes to say, you know, missions exist because worship doesn't. And we want to see every nation and every generation come to experience the beauty of our God and to know that there's only one true Savior that can redeem them and, and heal them of all their diseases. And that's what we're doing in Edmonton. We're looking to see a movement happen. We don't want to just see a moment. I was just talking to some of the other people here. They said this church started 210 years ago. And I don't know if anyone's here from 210 years ago. <laughs> yeah, okay, Kurt. <laughs> 
But um, we're not going to be around, God willing, maybe with technology and science, we'll be around for another 210 years. But chances are we won't. But we want to see that church in the valley is still a church that continues to strive for mission and never strays from that mission. And so that's kind of our heart for Edmonton. Edmonton is a city of 1.1 million people. It's one of the fastest growing cities in all of uh, North America. Uh, We have... Typically, it's about one, one Southern Baptist church for every 50,000 Edmontonians. And so, again, uh, a real, uh, real need for mission. 6% of the population are evangelical Christian. And so, again, uh, we, again, just desire your prayers and your support more than anything. And we're grateful for this time. Amen. You give it to Kurt. One of the things that uh, we're excited. Isn't that great? It's great. Um, uh, church, I want you to know, when we say partner, that we're partners with these men and their churches. Uh, and it is an amazing thing what God has done through First Norfolk uh, to stretch the resources that we have to help uh, partner with these church plants and continue to do that. And that is a commitment that we have made and will continue to make. But it is not just uh, the church plants that are represented here. It's uh, mobilizing folks and, and being on mission uh, globally, uh, in seven cities of Hampton Roads, but also around the world. So, Kurt, share with us a little bit more about what God is doing. Thank you, Pastor. Uh, the 10 flags up on the stage are 10 of the 12 countries that uh, we are currently serving in. Represents about 20 to 24 mission journeys that uh, we take each year. And we have been privileged not only to work with these uh, gentlemen here, their families and their, their churches, but... Uh, Partnerships all over the world, 16 churches that First Baptist Norfolk is currently connected with, serving alongside, encouraging, providing finances, sending teams. 16 churches are being impacted by First Baptist Church Norfolk. And we want to continue to do that, but we want to even do greater things. Greater things are ahead of us. Amen? Amen. There's still plenty of work to be done. I've shared with the other two um, hours of worship that there are over 3,000 unengaged, unreached people groups. Over 3,000. You hear me say that all the time. But that's something that we need to, to take into account and say, that shouldn't be. As a body of Christ, that should not be. That should be an indictment on the, uh, the international church. What can we do to reach into those pockets of darkness where there is no, um, no presence of Jesus? Maybe they've never even heard the name of Jesus, and how can we make a difference in those parts of the world? So there's opportunities for us to continue to give generously, which you have been doing, but the need is great for the years ahead. Uh, 2018 may be challenging in some ways, but God is the, uh, he has uh, cattle on a thousand hills, right? So we're not without resources, but we need you. We need you to pray, we need you to go, and we need you to support. God bless you. Thank you. Go over to the Live the Mission Center for the celebration. Encourage the people that have taken time out of their work schedules to go on mission because that's an encouragement to them. They need to hear from you. God bless you. Amen. Amen. And uh, we're thankful that God has the cattle on a thousand hills, but he's given you charge over some of them. And some of you need to slaughter some of the cows and start giving. Um, Amen. That, that didn't work out very well, but it was, it was a good thought as it, it started. Uh, we're also thankful uh, to have one of, uh, one of my friends, uh, Chad Vandiver, his wife Shelly are here. Uh, Chad is the city missionary for Montreal, 
Uh, he, uh, through the North American Mission Board in partnership with the Canadian National Baptist Convention, uh, Chad has been a partner and a friend uh, serving alongside him. Uh, we don't talk every week, but we talk at least once or twice a month uh, just learning about how that uh, God has given us the opportunity as a church to partner with them, to pray together over what God is doing through uh, uh, La Chapelle or Renaissance Church or Mosaic uh, or other churches there in Quebec, uh, Canada. And so I've asked Chad to come and uh, share his heart with us this morning. And so uh, let's thank God for him and Shelly. Chad, you come and bring us God's Word. Thank you, man. Chad, don't Shame. worry about the time. Uh, people just start leaving when they're through. <laughs> awesome. Well, it is a privilege to be with you here today. Man, uh, we praise God for your church uh, throughout Canada. Uh, I've uh, had the privilege of uh, serving now for over 40 years on, on the mission field, being a missionary kid and being a missionary through the Southern Baptist Convention. And I come from uh, generations of missionaries. My, my grandparents and my parents were missionaries. My, grand, my dad actually married his supervisor's daughter, which was kind of taboo in the late 60s there of the IMV. But uh, then my wife, uh, Shelly, and I have served in two of the countries that are here on stage, and both in Spain and Canada. Uh, with the IMB and now with the North American Mission Board. and So, man, it is a privilege to get to, to serve with you and to be with you on mission. I can tell you, in 40 years of being on mission, I've never seen a more generous church than yours. And so thank you so much for partnering with us to take the gospel where it's never been before because, man, it is, it is hard out there. It's, it's difficult. These church planners can tell you, man, it is difficult to be salt and light sometimes in the midst of a, a dark place. But, man, we need people like you to do that. So uh, the message I want to bring you today is called Clear and Present Truth, and uh, I wanted to look at 2 Corinthians 4. So if you're turning your Bibles to 2 Corinthians 4, um, the reason I wanted to look at, at, at this passage is, is Corinth, man, has so many similarities with places where I've uh, grown up. So I uh, was born in a city of 6.5 million, uh, went to elementary school in a city of 9 million, uh, went to high school in another city of 9 million. My wife and I served in a city of 6.5 million. And so Montreal at 4 million is actually the smallest city we've ever lived in. But there's this, this, this thing that we've seen over and over again, this beautiful relationship between a church and church planner, a church and missionary on mission together as a family in these places that is incredible. And the, the cool thing about uh, Corinthians is that, that Corinth has this similarity between those cities. If we look at Corinth, Corinth was located on a narrow piece of land between northern and southern Greece. It had two ports and goods were transported from Corinth all over the world. Uh, the city's population was about 750,000. Uh, the Roman author Strabo commented that Corinth was always great and wealthy, so they didn't need a lot of things. There was a lot of, of wealth there. Uh, There's a large rock in the center of the city that held the temple of a Greek goddess, um, and we know her as Diana. And, and they were all sorts of sort of immoral acts that they did to, to worship her. Uh, we have a map of, of Corinth also to kind of show you where it was uh, there in the uh, Aegean Sea. 
And then uh, also to understand uh, the Corinthians. You know, when you're living on mission in a city, you've got to understand the context that you're serving in. And so uh, we know that within uh, Corinth, the Corinthians were very immoral. Uh, to be Corinthian meant to be immoral. And we saw in uh, 1 Corinthians, even before, if you read 1 Corinthians, you see Paul telling the church that that's not okay. That's not the way a Christian should live. Uh, there's this constant struggle with habitual sin. And so with that in mind, let's read 2 Corinthians 4 together. So therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outward self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So as we begin to examine this passage, let's begin with, with verse 1 here. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. We have the privilege of serving together. You know, because of our gospel obedience, we get to serve on mission as a family. When I think about gospel obedience, I'm reminded of how I became a believer, right? As an eight-year-old in Abidjan, Ivory Coast, I was led to the Lord by an Ivorian church planner named Dion Robert. Dion planted a church that started with 75 people in 1975, and now they have over 100,000 small groups. It's the largest church in West Africa. But Dion told me, he said, Chad, you're living in a country that's over 90% Muslim. You need to start sharing your faith. So at eight years old, I began sharing my faith with a man named Mamadou. Mamadou is the West African version of Muhammad. And so there's lots of Mamadou, you can imagine, throughout West Africa. And so as I began to share with, with Mamadou as an eight-year-old boy, 
every day during the week. So from Monday through Friday, he and I would share. He would say his prayers in our house. And, and he, was, he was 30 years old, by the way, and I was eight, right? I was, I mean, that, that's a picture of weakness, I think. <laughs> but God is, is strong in, in the midst of that if we just obey. And so I shared my faith with him for two years. And when I turned 10 years old, he became a believer. And for the first time, I saw a Muslim friend accept Christ. And, and it blew my mind. I, I knew, okay, if we're just obedient, if we're just faithful, God can do the impossible. Nothing is impossible for God. And so that's what we see in verse 1. And in verse 2, we see that we refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of the truth, we recommend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. You know, What's interesting about that is that in Montreal, throughout the province of Quebec, the Catholic Church over and over and over again has practiced deceptive ways. For generations, they abused the people. And so finally, in the late 1960s, you had the Quiet Revolution. And the, the Quebecois people, who are now the most unreached people group in North America, fled the Catholic Church in huge numbers. Only 0.5% of the Quebecois people know Christ. And so what that means to us is that 99.5% don't know where they're going to spend eternity. But together, we get to share the gospel with them. I can tell you today, the definition of church is poor in Quebec as a result of what the Catholic Church did. Right? They practice cunning, deceitful ways in the way they, they, they approach the, the people. And, and, and so now the very worst words in Quebecois French are things that you would find in the Catholic Church. And so we are literally redefining church for the people. And La Chapelle is doing that in amazing ways. They have a commitment to plant 50 churches in the next 30 years. And so they are quite literally redefining church for their people. And that's a direct result of what you've invested in. That's your work on mission in Quebec. And so we're very grateful for that. Verse 3 through 4, we see that even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ. And so we don't know to whom the gospel is veiled. We can never know that, right? We're not omniscient, but we can ask good questions, right? We see uh, throughout the Bible that Jesus asked over 300 questions, but you know how many questions he answered? Two. And so over and over and over again, we can ask these questions that lead to gospel conversations. You know, I love to, to, to help churches understand how to do that with world religions all over the world. And we're seeing that happen in Montreal and throughout Quebec. You know, we see in this passage here that, uh, that people are veiled by the God of this world. You know, that's the only time Paul refers to Satan in this way. We, so, so when we think of that, the God of this world, we've got to put ourselves in the midst of the world and either in order to bring light in the mix of that darkness, that dark place. We've got to actively pray for that veil to be removed. Well, when I think of gospel conversations, I think of my friend Muhammad. Uh, Muhammad was what uh, most of the missionaries in uh, the city where he lived, they called him the, the Muslim Billy Graham. He was actively trying to convert all of the missionaries to Islam. And so when my wife and I arrived in the city, he said, the other missionary said to us, hey, we're tired of talking to him. Will you spend time with him? And so I did. Every Thursday, I'd spend most of the day with Muhammad. And we would walk the streets of the city, have 
coffee together and he would share with me about Islam and of course I would share with him about my faith in, in Christ. At the end of the day, man, I have an amazing wife and so at the end of the day we'd come into our flat and she, she had been preparing his favorite Moroccan meal and so the house smelled of, of the aromas of couscous and, and chicken and the, the raisins and oh, it's amazing. If you've never had Moroccan food, you've got to try it. But we walk into this, this apartment and he sensed the, the, the peace of the Holy Spirit, right? This Moroccan man who'd been a staunch cleric and had been a staunch advocate for lies, for the lies of Islam, became a child. And he crawled on the floor with my little two-year-old son, Benjamin. He opened up, right? He opened up in our place. We, as we sat around for uh, dinner, he couldn't believe that, that I got the chair for my wife or that I did the dishes afterwards, right? That's not done in Islam. So this single Muslim man Got, he, he began to ask questions about why do you do this? Why do you believe what you believe? And, and the questions got more and more until, until one, one evening he and I went out about midnight for espresso, as is common in the city. And so we go out for espresso and we're sitting around in this cafe and Muhammad says to me, he said, Chad, I don't know what I'm going to do. I've lost my job. I don't know how I'm going to stay in the city, right? I'm going to be deported, and, and I don't want to go back to Morocco. I don't know what I'm going to do. And so uh, I was able to say, Muhammad, my God can provide you with another job. So this man who all throughout the day had said, Chad, you need to, to do this to worship God. You need to pray five times a day. You need to fast at Ramadan. You need to do all of these things for God. You know what his response was to me? He said, Chad, why do you always have to bring God into every conversation? You see, he didn't have a relationship with God. He couldn't call God Father, right? So gospel conversations lead to those kinds of opportunities. And so right away I could say, well, Muhammad, I can call God Father. I have a relationship through Jesus Christ, his son. He calls me. We've seen Galatians 4. We're no longer heirs, but we are sons and daughters, Right of the one true king. And so, so I could share that with Muhammad. And you know, I'd like to tell you that he became a believer right away, but he didn't. There's still missionaries there witnessing to him in that city today. But it's those conversations that keep, keep going on and on. And so we see in, in verse 5 here, For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So in, in both in verse 5 and 6, that we see that we are supposed to be arrows pointing to Christ, right? Our daily sanctification, our daily transformation that happens needs to be a witness for those who are far from God, who don't know God, who are like Muhammad and can't call God Father. And so it, every time that we connect with them, we need to bring them one step closer to Christ, one step closer to that relationship. The light that we have doesn't come from a casual understanding of God's word, right? It comes from a deep, deepness, a deep time with our Father, deep time understanding what it means to walk with Jesus. And so if we have this light, we can't contain it, no matter where we are, no matter what the culture is. You know, I've been in some dark cultures. I can tell you, um, in the middle of my sophomore year in high school, I went from a, a Baptist school with Lily, Louis Giglio 
preaching in chapel and, and you know, you know, Petra, that's kind of dating me, but, you know, Petra on the radio, <laughs> and to this, this, you know, great bubble there. In the middle of my sophomore year, I went to high school in a Muslim ghetto in Paris, France, right? Night and day difference. But even though in that Muslim ghetto where God called me as a 15-year-old to urban missions, even in that Muslim ghetto, I knew I had the light of Christ, right? I could share my faith, Christ, even in the negativity with the gangs and the prostitution and the drugs, everything that was there in that place, I could smile. That city is very much like Montreal, right? Paris and Montreal are very similar. And we say in Montreal that smiling is frowned upon, okay? And so, so, and that, that's very much true about the Francophone world, about the French-speaking world. Unfortunately, smiling is frowned upon. So just by smiling with people, just by interacting with people, man, you show the love of Jesus and the light that is in you. Verse 7, we see, we see why we have this light, right? In verse 7, we see, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Right? We're weak. It has nothing to do with our strength. It has nothing to do with who we are or our past or, or what we've, we've uh, done or what we've majored in in college. Right? It has nothing to do with who we are. It has to do with Jesus and the transformational work that he's done in our life. So we have this gift of salvation uh, that we can share. We can, we can have those gospel conversations and share with people that we have a gift for them. And so over and over and over again, and I, when I talk about gospel conversations, I'm not talking about right, one conversation. I'm not talking about drive-by evangelism. I'm talking about over and over and over again. We're talking about a marathon, not a sprint, but over and over and over again, long-term relationships, right? Eugene Peterson talks about long obedience in the same direction, and this was what this is. It's long obedience in the same direction through gospel conversations. So when, the pe- when people see that in us, man, they want to know more. They want to know who we are. So in verse 8 through 10, we see that what happens, right? When you start sharing your faith, when you start having gospel conversations, let me tell you, spiritual warfare comes, especially when you're in a dark place like Montreal or Edmonton, right? These church planners can testify. There is spiritual warfare that comes with that. But you know what? Be encouraged because we are afflicted in every way but not crushed, perplexed but not driven to despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed. We always carry around, right, the, the, the body of Christ in us. We carry around Jesus everywhere we go. It's in our weakness that Christ's strength is demonstrated the most. I love the, the, the quote by Winston Churchill. Winston Churchill said, you have enemies, good. That means you stood up for something sometime in your life. Right? When you bring truth to a dark place, you're going to have enemies. Right? The gospel is offensive. But I love the way Jesus shared over and over and over again, right? He uh, asked questions that led to gospel conversations that led to multitudes coming to Christ, like what we see in John 4. So over and over again, we, we see that. Verses 11 through 12, here we see that for we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. So do not be afraid of taking risks to share the gospel with people and take the gospel where it's never been before. If we're daily giving ourselves, if we're daily giving ourselves over to Christ, nothing belongs to us. 
So what are we sacrificing for the gospel? It's a question that I ask myself every day. What am I sacrificing for the gospel? What am I giving up? What am I leaving aside so that, 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 that the gospel can be proclaimed? You know, I like to, to encourage uh, people, Christians, never constipate the gospel, right? Let it, let it, let it, let it flow. Let it, let, let the conversations uh, go as you talk to people and as you connect with, with people. You know, those gospel conversations lead to gospel opportunities. And one of my favorite gospel opportunities, man, involves one of our, our biggest partners in a city where my wife and I were missionary. But I, you know, if, if you don't know this, so this is, this is a picture of, of the oldest mosque in Madrid, Spain. I know you're, you're partnering, you're starting to partner in Madrid. And, and uh, this was taken not long after the, the bomb went off on March 11th of 2004. And, uh, man, North African Middle Eastern people were scared to death in that city at that time. And, but, but God brought us there for such a time as this, as that. And, and my wife and I were, were serving there as, as missionaries. And, and I was prayer walking the air with my supervisor, who was the, the strategist for the city. And we began praying for, for a place that, that God wanted me to serve. And um, I had already been in the neighborhood where the bombs were built, called Lava Pies. And, and so this is close to uh, the Metro Estrecho, which means narrow in Spanish. It was the narrow neighborhood there. And very narrow street as well, right? <laughs> and so there's about 3, 000, over 3,000 men that worship in that mosque. So as we turned the corner there to go into this section of the city, we saw this mosque. It happened to be the first mosque that was planted in uh, the city. And so the only way you really knew it is you saw a little crescent on the top. So as we turned the corner, we saw all these crowd of men, as you see there, coming out of the mosque. And so, so we went inside, and, and my uh, supervisor was awesome. He was very much laissez-faire. And so he said, hey, um, I'm gonna, I've got another meeting. I'm going to leave you here with all these Muslim got people, you know, go ahead and do your thing. So, so I, began, I began talking with the, the president of the mosque and got permission to leave Bibles in the mosque. Before you know it, he and I were having coffee and having more conversations, and he gave me permission to hand out Bibles and Jesus film DVDs and all sorts of things to this crowd of men that came out of the mosque every Friday afternoon. Before you know it, uh, they had asked me to start teaching English inside the mosque, and they allowed me to use the Bible as the literature portion of the class. And then because I taught about the Bible, they discovered that maybe I knew something about Jesus, and then I could be the Jesus expert in the mosque. And so they hired me. They voted for me to be the Jesus expert in the mosque. Now, when you're with the IMB, of course, you can't take a salary they wanted to pay me. So they paid me in baklava every Friday. And let me tell you, that's one of the best salaries I've ever ever had. But, uh, but th- that, that gospel opportunity, man, was precious. And I was able to take, take the gospel and preach the gospel where it had never been preached before. I can guarantee you that. No one had preached the Bible in that mosque to those, those men. Not only that, but most of those men worked uh, their job, their main job was selling pirated DVDs in the streets. Many North African, Middle Eastern, West African immigrants, that is their job in cities all over the, the world. And, and so that's what they were doing. And of course, it's illegal. But I thought, you know, how can we get the gospel? How can these men help me get the gospel throughout the world? And so I gave them the Jesus film, right? And they pirated the Jesus film throughout the, the area. So you've got to be creative with these guys. You've got to look for these gospel opportunities. So let's look at verse 13 through, through 15 here. So since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe 
And so we also speak. So we come from a, a common bond, common fellowship, a family on mission together, sharing our faith together. Our words come from an in, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. We've got, they've got to see us living together, right, on mission. Um, with uh, with that, that gospel opportunity there at that mosque, what I haven't shared you yet is for years, uh, a, a church and, and a youth group had been praying over that neighborhood. And nobody knew that. They'd been praying for an open door. And I walked through it, right? That partner then now partners with us in Montreal as well. That same church partnered with us in Madrid. And they had been praying without us even knowing for years for that neighborhood. And that door opened. So you never know what your prayers are going to lead to in, in cities like that. So we're a family on mission together. So we see in verse 14, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. That's what it's about, right? Stop. We need to stop looking to the authority of man for an understanding of who God is, but rather search his word for ourselves. This church and every church should exist to glorify God in the midst of the city where they are. And that's what we're looking for is many, many churches throughout Canada that exist to glorify God. In verses 16 through 18, we see that we should never, ever, ever give up on people. Never, ever, ever give up on people. Right? Jesus didn't give up on us. And so we should never give up on people. You want to continually be about the business of sharing your faith. Don't get weighed down by the trials of, of life. Don't get burdened by what's happening around you or distracted by what's happening around you. But focus on those people that you have influence over, the people that you buy groceries from, the people that you buy gas from or that you connect with. Be intentional about connecting with them, the people that you work with. The, the, this life is not the end, but it's the beginning, and we need to, to realize that. I mean, we're just scratching the surface of what we can do in Edmonton and, and Montreal, and we need your help. And we are so grateful to get to serve with you, man. It's amazing. I'm telling you, this church has encouraged us so much. You guys are the most generous church I've ever seen and ever had the pleasure of serving with. So we're so grateful for that. Thank you for your investment. Thank you for praying for us as well, man. We need your prayers. And in dark places like that, uh, when you have difficult tasks, when, when things look impossible, we, your prayers make a difference. And we feel like we're standing on the shoulders of prayer warriors who've gone before us who've prayed without ceasing. Also, thank you for your participation. Thank you for being on a mission, for walking the streets with us in Montreal and in, in Edmonton. Uh, man, there, there are huge needs there, and so we appreciate that. And then thank you for your provision. Thank you for sacrificially giving above and beyond the cooperative program even, which is amazing. Man, that, that's a miracle uh, of what God can do in, in places of darkness. So thank you for the privilege of getting to serve with you. May you be blessed today.